Families and businesses across the West are feeling the burden of high energy costs, especially in California, where electricity rates are the third highest in the country. At the same time, we're dealing with the effects of extreme weather and climate change. This means more demand on our grid from hotter temperatures and colder temperatures, leaving us with big bills, blackouts, and sometimes both. In fact, California has had more blackouts than any other state over the last two decades, and in 2022 alone, the state accounted for almost 25% of all power outages nationwide. So what can policymakers do to make our energy more reliable and more affordable? How can California build an energy grid for the future? We'll talk about a potential three-letter solution to our state's power woes coming up on this episode of Getting to Know RTO. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. My name is Amisha Rai, and I'm Vice President of Policy and Advocacy at Advanced Energy United. I am so happy to be hosting today's episode where we'll be talking about the state of California's energy grid and what we should know about an RTO, also known as Regional Transmission Organization, as the state looks to keep the lights on. Today, we're talking with Michael Wara. He's a senior research scholar at the Woods Institute for the Environment and director of the Climate and Energy Policy Program at Stanford University. He's viewed as an expert on all things energy and is highly regarded statewide by decision makers and stakeholders in the energy and environmental field. Michael, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here with you, Amisha. Thanks for having me. Of course. We in California have gotten a real taste of the rolling blackouts over the, the course of the past few years. Summer of 2020 was rough. And since then, we've been on the brink, right, relying on California residents to limit their power usage to get us through some really tight periods when it comes to our, our electricity system. Public power shutoffs are also the new normal, given the impact of climate and extreme weather events. As we're heading into the next summer season, right, we're just going into spring right now, what is top of mind for you when it comes to our state's energy supply, our energy system here, which all of our businesses, residents really depend on in terms of making sure we have energy when we need it most? Well, I sort of have three goals in mind when I think of California's energy system and especially our electricity system. The first one is making sure the system is reliable and reliable despite the increasingly extreme weather that we're being confronted with, both in terms of heat waves in the summer, also the challenges of wildfire. The second priority for me is affordability. We need to make sure that everyone in California can afford to keep the lights on you know, at night so their kids can do their homework and keep their homes reasonably cool in the Central Valley in the summertime. And the third thing is we need to stay true to our North Star moving towards a clean electricity system. Making those three priorities all work together is kind of what gets me out of bed in the morning. And, and I think it's a, it's a huge challenge for everyone working in the space. And we need to be thinking about all kinds of solutions to, to actually achieve all three things at once. That makes a lot of sense. You know, you mentioned our North Star, right? That that we have here in California, some pretty lofty goals, ambitious goals around clean energy, right? We've cemented a 100% clean energy goal, which is fantastic. And now the state has the obligation to implement 
and really chart a course to, to get to 100%. We're also seeing some interesting dynamics in the rest of the West, right? California is not the only state anymore that has cemented this goal. There's five other states in the West that have now put that goal into statute as well. You, you talked about sort of all the options or the tools that we're going to need. What do those look like? And what should California be thinking about as they're charting that course to 100% clean, given the entire Western region is grappling with the same or similar challenges to California? Sure. I put this in several buckets. Um, you know, and the first thing to say is no one solution, no one policy solution is going to actually deliver that goal. We need to do a lot of different things and we need to do them all at the same time. And we need to do them more and faster than we have historically. So that's a huge challenge. As I think about that goal, the first thing to, to realize is that achieving a 100% clean electricity system involves building a lot of stuff, deploying a lot of new energy generation, energy storage, and also building the electric transmission and distribution system to deliver that new clean energy to people, people's homes, businesses, industry in California. So part of that challenge it is going to be met at the distribution level, like rooftop solar storage. I think it's going to be an important part of it. Part of it is going to be big utility scale power plants and battery storage within California. And I think also part of it is going to be relying on states that are a lot less populated than California and have a bit more space than we do to site some of that generation and potentially some of that storage. So it's kind of a all of the above strategy. And I think the trick is finding ways to do all of it more and faster. And, and just to put a number on this, the Energy Commission has done a lot of work trying to think about like how much would we need to build in order to meet this goal. The Air Resources Board as well in the recent, that would be the SB100 study. And then in the more recently, the in the scoping plan, ARB has been thinking about this also in connection with direct air capture, which could be a significant additional load, like to, to get to net zero for our whole economy, we're going to need to actually be removing CO2 from the atmosphere. And that takes a lot of energy. And I think when you look at all this together, you know, we're talking about something like 70 to 100 plus gigawatts of new generation. And just to put that number in perspective, we're running about, I, th I think on the order of 25 gigawatts of solar right now in California. That's rooftop and utility scale. And so this is an enormous challenge. And it's particularly enormous if you think about the time frame over which we'd like to accomplish this, right? To get to get to these numbers in the next 20 years. It's it's a an, another way to look at those numbers is during the summer heat wave last year, where we had a you know near grid emergency that was averted by the response of all of California to the requests from the ISO to reduce consumption, we peaked out at 52 gigawatts of nameplate capacity. So this is a big challenge. And I think those three buckets are where we need to be thinking, how do we keep building a, a successful rooftop and distributed storage industry? Another bucket is how do we really accelerate in-state generation to the maximum extent possible? And then a third bucket is how do we continue the century-long integration of California's energy system with the broader Western energy system? So you just covered a lot of ground. 
And we could probably do an episode on each of those buckets and probably yes, should. Sure. I want to dive a little deeper into, I think it was the third bucket around sort of how do we, as we're in parallel, moving on all of these buckets and all of these funds, or should be, right? Planning for that. In integrating all of this clean energy across the West, right? How do we make the most of that? How do we maximize that? And I know there's a there's a lot of buzz around Western grid expansion and discussions that are happening in, in all of the states in the West right now around this topic about the development of uh, RTO or regional transmission organization. No, this is this is something that is certainly taken off, especially even more recently as, as these states, many of these states have cemented 100% clean goals and are really looking to ensure that they continue on that path while also maintaining affordability and reliability of the system, keep the lights on. Do you think California should be engaging in these regional conversations? And, and if so, what should state leaders or decision makers be thinking about? Well, first of all, I definitely think we need to be involved in these conversations. We are. We already are. And that's important for everyone to understand, right? We, we've actually been a leader in these conversations. Many of the folks in the legislature may remember from a few years ago, there was a conversation about changing the governance of the ISO to allow for a multi-state RTO. That, that legislation did not advance at the time. And I think in response to that, the ISO has taken a number of steps kind of on its own that are short of governance change to increase the degree of regional cooperation. And in particular, the energy imbalance market and more recently, the enhanced day ahead market are an attempt to do that. I think it's important for everybody to recognize that those are big, they're kind of large partial steps, but they also have important limitations. And in yeah. particular, we, you know, certain dance partners in the West are more valuable than others when it comes to this regional integration. And we want to be dancing with the most valuable people, right? Where California gets the most benefit. And it's naive to think that if anything, one thing happens that we will all of a sudden be in a regional West-wide grid, including with partners that have very different politics and in, in, importantly, climate policies than we do. But there are certain parties where if we could have better coordination with them and, and sort of dance with them, right? So that when our demand is high, they give more. When our demand is low, we give more to them. That kind of interaction and, and in a way that's that's flexible and very dynamic, sort of like a jazz dance, I guess. I don't know. There's a ton of value for California in that. And a number of those partners are not going to join and they've made it clear that they're not going to join these the, the deeper recent re regional integration the edam so as it's called because they don't get to say what the rules look like they don't have a say in the governance part of this is we are approaching the limits of regional integration where we get to call all the shots now that implies letting other people have a say in how things get done and there is risk there. And I don't want to pretend that I'm not going to hide the ball on that. So the question really is, do the benefits of giving other people a say outweigh the risks of doing it? And how, how is that risk benefit calculus changing through time? And I think relative to five years ago, six years ago, reliability concerns are much more front and center than they were. And that increases the value of letting other people sit at the table when we make the rules. 
coal plants are retiring in the West at a pretty rapid clip. Five to six years ago, there was a lot more coal online. Some of it has left. Some of it is scheduled to leave in the near term in the next couple of years. And frankly, coal is a five cent product in a three cent market, and there's not a future. And so that picture has really evolved in a way that's supportive of California's climate objectives. And as you point out, California's leadership on clean electricity is really paying dividends in the West, where we're seeing a a significant number of the parties that we would want to partner with adopting goals that look kind of like copies of our own. That eases to some degree the concern we might have about joining up with partners. Because one of the concerns five, six, seven years ago was, what if someone joins the market who doesn't think climate change is a priority or even wants to keep their coal plants online? You know, those people are still out there in the West, but I think they're fewer in number. And the economic situation in electricity and in, 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 in power markets has really evolved such that And this is also partly true because of the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which really creates a decade of clarity around what the economics of different new generation technologies look like. And it makes batteries and solar and wind look really good compared to fossil. The balance has shifted towards looking more favorably at an RTO. I think there still remain some concerns, you know, concerns that have been raised in particular around um, who will build these power plants and what kind of labor agreements they will or will not have with their bosses. And of course, in California, we build a lot of this stuff with union labor. And in other states, that's not less true. And there is a legitimate concern that perhaps a regionalization of our power market, which is, I just want to say, back up and say, what an RTO is, is basically just a big power market. And the question is, what is the boundary of our market versus other markets in the West? Does our market get bigger? Or do we stay you know, where, where, where it's sort of easy and seamless to do transactions? And also for the market operator who has to ensure reliability to sort of have control over lots of power plants. And I, and I think there is this legitimate concern about you know, maybe there'll be a movement of new power plant build outside of the state. But I also think you know, we need to think about that number that I mentioned a while ago, 170 to 100 gigawatts. Which is huge. That is a very large number. And my perspective is that I think it would be very difficult to build all of that power in California from a siting and land use perspective. And I think we need to lower barriers dramatically to building a lot more of it in California, particularly on already disturbed lands, perhaps on agricultural lands that have been fallowed because we don't have water to support those lands anymore or maybe we never did, but that's another podcast. But even if we do everything right in California, even if we build 25 gigawatts of floating offshore wind, even if we do all of these hard things in our state, I still question whether we're going to be able to build that much power in California and therefore whether we should be open to this idea. You just laid out the the perspectives that have been shared over the past several years on both this, this conversation around regionalization and, and also shared sort of how the landscape has shifted, right? With these 100% clean goals being cemented after California and, and we're seeing it in you know, other states like Nevada, Colorado, New Mexico, Oregon, Washington. 
And also just the the constraints we have today and and sort of building at the pace that we need to build in state. I want to bring it back to affordability, Michael, just, just a little bit. I know we touched a lot on sort of the benefits of keeping our options open to looking at how we can better integrate resources from other states, build more here inside California. We need to do that as well. How do we do all of that, keeping affordability in mind? Because at the end of the day, going back to your North Star comments, as well as making sure that our kids have the lights on when they're doing their homework in the evenings and the hot summer months, and that the the residents in the Central Valley have power to, you know, their homes can be cooled in the heat of summer. How do we ensure an affordable system? Well, I think two answers there. One is making sure that the investments we make have the highest value. Sometimes that means, that does mean building in-state. It means building close to load, close to the demand. Load is just another word for people who consume electricity. It's a weird electricity word. Sometimes it means going to where the renewable resources are truly the best. So there's a new transmission line that's being built with a novel arrangement to connect California to Wyoming wind, uh, the Transwest line, and and that's really because the Wyoming wind is the best wind. <laughs> There's just it's it's a really windy place, so it's very cost effective to build a giant extension cord out to Wyoming to get that some of that wind. Sometimes that can mean also, you know, and and I should I should say the greatest challenge and the greatest level of cost really comes from the need to have resources around that you almost never need to use, but you do need on that hot summer afternoon. And th- these are called you know, reliability or resource adequacy. And one advantage of a bigger footprint or a regional market is greater access to certain kinds of power generation that are the kind of key resource adequacy yeah. sort of power plants. And you know, one, one thing I'd point to, I, you know, I, when I think about what a regional market might achieve, and I would emphasize might, is you know if there were some way to lure the Bonneville Power Administration into greater cooperation with the ISO, I think that is an incredibly valuable thing to consider and, and evaluate. And I think it's great that we have Elliot Mainzer as our as our current you know CEO of the ISO. He came from BPA and he knows how BPA thinks and how they work. And I think he fully recognizes the value of the Columbia hydro system to California reliability. And it's again, it's not just any kind of reliability, it's zero carbon reliability, like hydro. Right. Right? I mean, it's not right. zero environmental impact. You know, ask the salmon, they'll tell you, but um, or I guess salmon don't talk, but uh, <laughs> but there's there are certain resources in the West that have attributes that are very valuable to California. If we can coordinate better with the people that operate those resources, California wins. California wins on an affordability basis. California wins on uh, an environmental basis. It's not a panacea. This is not something that's going to solve, you know, and I want to emphasize that, like when we talk about regionalization, it's not the whole enchilada. It's it's a little piece of that and, and it will help with the affordability problem, but it will not solve it. And, you know, so much of the affordability problem has been driven by the cost of wildfire in California. That's not going away if we have a more regional power market, but this will help. And I think it's something we need to consider. And so what I'm what I'm hearing from you is we have to keep these options moving and alive and have the conversations. And 
I have one last question for you, and, and which is really geared toward for, for those that are, are looking to learn more about how regional cooperation could be helpful or benefit. How do we ensure that those conversations are we're asking the right questions and all of those important attributes that we want to see in California are raised up? If the CAISO governance issue, which you mentioned earlier, was resolved, my understanding is that in order to actually get to an official RTO, it takes time, right? It's the governance conversation is in California is what opens the door to that conversation, but you don't flip the switch and suddenly you're in a regional transmission organization. You know, when I'm hearing you say that we need to keep these options alive, is it also ensuring that let's keep the conversation going? Let's ensure that we are a part of the conversation and helping to lead it, but there's time to really get things right. So we, we, we get to an RTO of the future in the West. That's sort of what I'm hearing from you, but want to make sure that I, I'm capturing that correctly. I think that's right. I, you know, passage of legislation would, you know, enable a proposal, as I understand it. You know, and I think there's time to think about what would California want? from a governance proposal, right? You know, one thing I think about in all of this is, is this, you know, the Senate or the House of Representatives, right? And that has very different implications for how much power California would have in an ultimate Western RTO. And how those kinds of rules get written would strongly influence the degree to which we maintain a kind of dominant role that reflects the kind of heft that California has, especially in terms of electricity demand in the West. You know, we are 40 out of 100 million total people in the Western grid. And it would be odd if, for example, Nevada had one vote and California had one vote in a Western RTO. Nevada has a substantially lower number. Much than, lower than over here. Than over here. And so I think there's a lot of value in the conversation. There's a lot of value also because other conversations around Western RTOs are happening. And we, right. sh- we, are not, we should not ignore that. And I think everyone, as they start to walk down the path of a clean energy system, is going to face challenges that California is currently facing, right? Reliability challenges associated with the duck curve. And we can help. We can lead. This is a situation where, you know, we, we I think we can be an important influencer as much as kind of you know, the, the sort of negative view of this, where all of a sudden we're, we're giving up power. Sometimes by giving a little bit of power, you actually gain power, right? If, right. if you have allies, you are stronger than if you stand alone. And you know, I think I, we, if we do it right, if we're careful, we can create a situation of, you know, a, co- a coalition of allies in the West, all working towards similar goals, rather than this kind of compromised, situation where we're we're somehow end up married to you know people who don't share our priorities and you know married in haste we may repent at leisure is the saying right i think there's no reason to think that that has to be the way it happens and i think that done right if we keep this conversation constructive and productive we can have a relationship with of greater cooperation and and i think the reality is california developed its electricity system relying on other states. That reliance used to be really ugly. It used to be that we had coal plants on the res and we imposed our environmental harms on others, usually people of color and of low income in other states. And another way to think about this is that we've always had a regional electricity system, but we can do it better and do it right. 
And I think this could be a real opportunity to get that right. If we're careful. If we're careful. I think you've given a lot for everyone to consider as this conversation continues, certainly in California and across the West. And I want to thank you for your time, Michael, with us here today. You always provide such great context and understanding of the perspectives that should be considered as we're diving into these very meaty issues. Thanks so much for having me on, Amisha. Thank you, Michael, again for your time. Getting to Know RTO is edited and produced by Advanced Energy United. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to turn on automatic downloads to get the latest episodes as soon as they're aired.